Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome and thank you for joining us on Q&A with Whitey. I'm uh, coming to you this morning from uh, FBAA Central. Yes, I'm in the office uh, today. Quite an unusual experience after working from home for so long, and we still continue to do that. Anyhow, here in the office today, and uh, looking forward to our conversation this morning. Uh, and I do say this morning, for those of you in other states that want to try and hijack the timeline, well, hey, Queensland is the right timeline. This is where it's at. So it's still morning here, so it's still good morning. Um, I trust you've got your coffee ready to go. Got mine already on the brew. And uh, of course, some morning tea. So whilst we chat, you can sit there and have some eat. Now, I'm very fortunate. My wife has given me some fruit and a homemade muesli bar and a homemade uh, blueberry muffin for me to eat this morning, which uh, I think all that will probably be lunch more so than anything else. But anyhow, uh, hope you're ready for today's conversation. And uh, before we jump into that, I better say thank you to those people that uh, look after us and are able to do what we can do and to bring you all our content free of charge. Uh, I'd like to thank ALI, Bluestone, Suncorp, Finstro, Ondeck, Prosper, Speedy, Lend, AMC, Strive Financial, Insurance Advisor Net, Credit Fix Solutions and Trailbook Loans. Thank you to all those folks who uh, join with us in partnership with what we do and, and bring to you from the industry. Anyhow, let's get on with today's conversation. I'm very, very excited to uh, introduce this gentleman to you. And for the sake of transparency and clarity, um, this man and I go back a long way. We know each other well. Uh, but is why we can have this conversation we're about to have. So I welcome Mr. Kim Dalton, who's the Managing Director of Australian Mortgage Marketplace. Kim, welcome, and uh, please uh, come online and, and join us uh, in our conversations. There's the great man. How are you, sir? I'm extremely well, and all the better for your inquiry, Pete. Um, it is afternoon <laughs> here in Sydney. Um, I hasten to add. Yes, I, I understand. You Yes, you're manipulating the timeline down there. So uh, that's all right. You guys do the way you want to do it. That, that's all right. Um, Dolts, thank you for joining us this morning. And just for those of you who don't know, um, and, and I did mention in my intro, Kim and I go way back. Um, but I will say, and, and you can call me biased, you, Kim is probably one of, if not the most intelligent men in our industry. And it's why no. I quite often refer to him as a futurist, because he can, the, the level of knowledge, Dolts, that you've got, is, is visionary because you can see beyond just what's happening now um, okay. and the impact that takes in a journey. And that is so critically important about what we're going to talk about this morning because we can get very much caught up in the emotion of things. Um, mm. We've got to try and see past some of that to be able to understand a balance of realities, and it, it is a balance, um, but also where the journey can go if we take it on the wrong trajectory. So we'll chat about all that as we go. But what I'd love to do first is for everybody to get the opportunity to know Mr. Dalton a little bit better. So Dalton, tell me a little bit about your background. You obviously haven't been always with AMM. Tell us about your past history, where you've come from, a little, about, little bit about you as a person, and uh, then we'll jump onto some uh, fun stuff. Could be an interesting tale. I'm quite often asked, how did you get into finance in the first place? Well, here's the story. I started off in the rock and roll business, actually, and working for a... Uh, independent record label in Melbourne, and I had a Holden Tirana, um, doing rather well. I might, I managed to fail second year arts at Monash, got a job in the rock and roll <laughs> industry, and uh, bought a Tirana, so I thought I'd reach self-actualization. And then, as happens with Holden Tirana's gearbox broke. So I went along to my boss, who's quite high profile, still in the industry, and said, can I have a $20 a week increase to get my gearbox fixed? And he went, no, 
And I went, oh, well, I can't do my job. So then a rather heated exchange took place. So I quit. So now I'm a failed art student with no job <laughs> and a broken Tirana. So one of my mates said, would you like to get a job collecting debts for AGC? And I went, not particularly. And I went, I'd pay $150 a week. I went, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so that's, and I thought I'll do this for six months and then go back and be the rock god that I so richly deserve. But um, here we are. Um, uh, 40 years later. That's and how I got in finance. Well, there you go. So what else, you, you've, you've done some interesting things in your past. So do you share a little <laughs> bit with, with us about this? Because um, in one respect with AMM, um, you've done something sort of similar without the yeah. technology twist you're doing in the past, but yeah. you've also been in other areas of our industry as well. Do you want to just oh, yeah. share a little bit, going back a little to, bit of that? You know, I'm, I'm making myself sound um, rather ancient here, but going back to the late 80s, there was this crazy new racket out of America called securitization, and um, no one really knew what it, what it was or what it did. And so the AMP uh, lured me away from my cushy insurance job in Perth and said, come, can you come and run our uh, securitization subsidiary? And I went, sure, but a couple of questions. How much does it pay and what is it? And they went, well, <laughs> it pays quite a lot and you'll figure it out. So that was 1989. Um, there was a company that, uh, that, that uh, mutated into one called Australian Mortgage Securities, which I ran for nearly 14 years, uh, which became the largest uh, RMBS issuer in Australia and New Zealand and was a powerhouse behind Wizard. So I did that till 2002, and then I, um, that's why I'm very interested to talk about responsible lending a little later in the show, huh. is that um, then I entered uh, into the world of responsible lending and formed a company called Credit Ed, which was meant to uh, provide benefits to consumers, brokers, and lenders by increasing the, um, the levels of financial literacy with, with an element of compliance. It was a, was a tear away intellectual success and a financial ruin, frankly. Um, so uh, people weren't really ready. It for, happens uh, in life. <laughs> it happens in life. You know, we thought some of us have been there. So, um, so after I decided that that uh, wasn't going to keep me fed for too much longer to be living under a bridge, um, I decided to head back into what I knew best, which is, uh, which is uh, the world of non-bank lending. Hence, uh, three years ago, Australian Mortgage Marketplace, which is uh, a 21st century version of AMS with with uh, with lots of uh, uh, digital technology, which we think is going to transform the way that mortgages are done in Australia. So here I am. Excellent. And from memory, AMS got sold to ABN AMRO, didn't it? I think. No, we were right? owned uh, partially by me and partially by ABN AMRO, and then yeah. uh, Wizard acquired it and it formed. It, it turned into AFIG, which turned into GE Capital. Ah, yes, that's right. And by which time I was sitting under a, an umbrella drinking blue drinks by the pool. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> so one, one thing I do want to um, ask you about, and I hadn't prepped you for this and I haven't prepped you for any of it really by the headline. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm like a lamb to slaughter today, Pete. That's all right, mate. We, we do all that. Um, one thing that always int interests me, can with AMM, it's premised on, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, blockchain technology. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. are I you able to just give me a layman's understanding of that? Because I still don't quite get it. Yeah. I'll give you the layperson's view because that's all I know about it. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> blockchain is associated with cryptocurrencies, which you know have had various levels of notoriety or, or fashionability over the past few years. It's actually really called distributed ledger technology, 
And what we're going to do is distributed ledger technology. We'll talk about mortgages a lot today, but how are those mortgages funded? Well, they're funded through the securitization process. And if you think there's been little innovation in mortgages over the last 30 years, there's been almost none in residential mortgage-backed security since I first joined in 1989. It's, it's, um, there's been precious little innovation. It's timely that there is innovation in securitization mm. itself. So we are using distributed ledger technology, AKA the blockchain, to bring um, true innovation to the financing process by having greater transparency, greater accountability. So the investors uh, are much better informed about what they're buying. We've all seen the movie, The Big Short, where um, you know people just really didn't know what they were buying. And indeed the most hilarious part was where the, mm. the analyst from Standard & Poor's uh, was vision impaired, which I thought was quite, um, quite a humorous <laughs> piece. Um, that's the way it has been in RMBS for decades now. Um, there's been a lack of accountability, lack of transparency. We're using DLT, the blockchain, to change that so we can finance the, the mortgages more efficiently and therefore for the benefits of brokers and consumers. So it's a interactive piece with investors. Yep. Is that principally correct? So, they can actually, so therefore, rather than relying on archaic spreadsheets to actually know yeah. what's lying behind the security, yeah. they'll be able to use um, distributed ledger technology and something that we've um, we've produced uh, ourselves, we've built ourselves. So they can actually peer into the securities that they own in real time at a granular level, in fact, down to the loan level. So there is there's no opacity, there's complete transparency, which will actually encourage not only the prices of the securities to, uh, to improve, but also we, we were hoping to access greater pools of funds because it's more funds. transparent. Yeah, okay. So from a, a borrower and, and I guess broker perspective as well in the future. Um, mm -hmm. Does it does this does this then also play in the open banking space as far as uh, information swap or is it separate? Yeah, that's um. Not, 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 not the, so you like you got a back end piece? Is there a front end piece? Yeah. Piece? Sometimes when we're presenting, you know, we're always on the hunt for capital as, a, as an early stage company, and sometimes when we're presenting yeah. to investors, um, they, they sometimes think that we're a SaaS provider or something. You know, that we're mm. a software license. We're licensing our software. No, we're an end-to-end. -end. We're a lender. Mm. We're pure and simple. We're a lender. But we just have mm. some pretty interesting gadgets, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so just, you know, the innovation that's possible uh, for many neo-lenders and neo-banks employing technolo uh, technology in a holistic sense now mm. is just amazing. You're going to see an absolute tidal wave of innovation disruption uh, coming over the next year or two. We hope to be in the vanguard of it. Yeah. Nice, 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 excellent. All right, before we get right. into a couple of these hot topics, and I have a heap of questions here that have been sent through, so be ready, Mr. Dalton. You know what my emotion is? I feel like I'm a Christian in the Colosseum, hoping that the lions have turned vegetarian for the day. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, give it your best. No, it's fine. I think we'll answer most of these in conversation, mate. So uh, uh, okay, I'll only try and pick up on some separately. Uh, okay. But before we do that, there is something that you haven't touched on that you are <laughs> uniquely famous for that I did tag in our our headline was around tattoos. Now there ah. was a point in time that um, <laughs> in our history, I thought mm -hmm. that. Um, uh, I, I might in my head, but well, I, I might be slightly matching Mr. Dalton in tattoos until I got to know you better. So I only have three, <laughs> and they're fairly large tattoos. I, was, I have three. Um, uh, do you know I've how many them. you have? Um, <laughs> no, countless. Countless is the answer. Countless? Countless? <laughs> um, uh, so I don't, I don't call them tattoos. I call them 
uh, movable expressionist art, actually. Um, every one of mine is movable um, because as you get older, your skin changes. <laughs> as someone said, what are they going to look like when the, what are your tattoos going to look like when you're 70? I'm going awesome. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, there it's a, it's a, it's just a peculiar hobby. Everyone's got a peculiar hobby. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's mine, unfortunately, but they're all very okay. artistic. But the one thing, they are very artistic and, and nobody asked me why I've seen most of them. I don't know if I've seen all of them, but <laughs> we'll put that to one side. But the thing that always has impressed me is that every single one, and there's a few, have meaning. This is just not yeah. random blotches on a on a canvas. Sorry not to talk about you that way. Like <laughs> but they all have meaning some way or another. Yeah. And whether it may be a, an international reference or a, mm -hmm. uh, you know something's or happening in, in social markets. In my life, not so good experience in my life. But um, yeah. So, um, please email me if you want any uh, any explanations. <laughs> I won't give them here now. <laughs> oh dear. Ah, oh, no, yeah. it's always interesting. What about you going to touch on motorcycles as well, Pete, or not? No, 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 we're not going to touch on motorcycles just yet. Mr. Dalton's uh, hinting at a, a recent acquisition of mine. Well, we will come back to that at another time, and well, yours as well. Good. There's another piece of snippet for the man. Um, Very good. We'll come back to that. But mm -hmm. um, let's let's talk a little bit around responsible leaning. It's your, your pet. Um, it's my pet. And then we'll talk about clawbacks afterwards. So... Whew. The thing that I have found interesting, and and as always, Dalt, you be at liberty to correct me when I'm wrong, so I know you will. That's 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 why our friendship is. <laughs> but to me, with responsible lending, I've seen so many people sort of say, "Oh, well, that's that's going to change best interests, Judy, and we'll have to see how that impact lies." And da da da. Again, well, it's it's actually not. It's a separate piece of legislation. There may be some flow back, but it's not a direct sort of. It's not going to dynamically change best interests, Judy. But what's with what we've seen, and, I, and I'll put it on the table straight away, is that yeah. when the Westpac case happened last year with ASIC, we mm -hmm. actually supported Westpac's view on things. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, at the end of the day, it played out that favorably. We, we didn't agree with ASIC's position, as we don't agree with some of ASIC's positions today on the best interest duty, and I'll talk a bit about that later as well. So mm -hmm. give me your headline on... Okay responsible lending, what that current piece of legislation will or won't do in your mind, and where yeah. you see that sits okay. in the marketplace as a piece of, this is what brokers need to understand about responsible lending obligations, Okay. RG209. Well, as, you, as you did say, this is my pet, so just cut me off if I ramble uh, for too Go long, for but you might remember that I actually assisted you back in 2008 to draft your response to the initial bill. So um, it it's something that's in my DNA and something I'm very passionate about, consumer protection and responsible lending. The two are actually uh, 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 not oxymoronic, they're hand in hand. Um, and I've, I've lots of observations over the past decade or so is that um, number one, um, the law is the law and it's there to protect consumers. It's not there to actually make life hard for brokers or lenders. It's actually there, it's called the National Consumer Credit Protection Act, point number one. Point number two, mm. RG209 isn't the law. It's actually your guidance. And many people have actually, have actually blurred uh, the boundaries between the two and have interpreted RG209 as actually the law itself. No, it's actually uh, people's opinions on what the law actually says. And the Wagyu and Shiraz case. Uh, and and this, yeah, I was about to say, this is where the Westpac case fell over. Indeed. Indeed. So um, in a former life, I, I distilled the, the 139, the 1039 pages as it was at the time. It's probably more now 
into the six core principles of the NCCP. I called it the six pillars of the NCCP, but I've distilled that down today to four. The NCCP um, it requires you to, um, to uh, pr provide a revisor credit that's not unsuitable, that is uh, it, it, that meets a consumer's needs and objectives. Uh, you uh, to do that so it can be repaid without substantial hardship. You need to actually make reasonable inquiry and take reasonable steps to verify. That's actually the law. Mm. What's happened, in my view, what's happened over time is there's been accretions to the law as people have, uh, have actually interpreted it. And you've actually seen um, just an absolute overkill of those four or five core principles in how they've been interpreted. Um, and, you know, I've heard anecdotally, um, I don't know whether it's an urban myth, and uh, but it's probably not, you know, that you get down to whether it's a fortnightly or a monthly Netflix subscription, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a lot mm. of lot of heat and, and emotion about that. Well, Correct. where does the law mm. say that? It never said that. That is no. unreasonable inquiry and unreasonable steps to verify. And, and I'm conjecturing now that um, uh, many lenders uh, got roughed up in the Hain Royal Commission and there was a uh, there, there was an overreaction that flowed through to the whole lending process, actually. Uh, my point is that it was never thus. It was the way that people interpreted it as that. So if I could segue on to the consumer credit reforms now, um, I had to start breathing into a brown paper bag when I went when I got blindsided by it. Didn't have a bottle in it, did it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it probably should have. It was, it was before midday. Um, so, um, oh, that's ever stopped me. Yes, it has. Um, <laughs> Because um, I saw the headlines in some of the trade press, um, responsible lending axed, responsible yeah. lending laws slashed. I mean, I started half hyperventilating because here's the last 10 years of my life. And I've actually fine tuned, uh, a, a, you know, a neo lender to be the most responsible mm. digitized lender in the country. And in one fell swoop, you know, it was all washed away. And then I actually started reading, uh, not the rhetoric, but uh, the actual uh, things put, put out by the Australian government. I'm, I am now conjecturing. So that the NCCP is principles-based, not rules-based. But as I've mm -hmm. just articulated, it was on the way to being rules-based. That was mm -hmm. never the intention. So I think these new credit reforms are a tug on the leash to get them back to the principles-based uh, and to bring some greater clarity and sanity to the entire process, in my opinion. Here's another thing, and this is completely conjectural, and I have it here in front of me with lots of highlighters on it. Um, we've just been through a once-in-a-century pandemic, hmm. and many small businesses need support. Many small business people uh, own residential property. It's my call that many of these consumer credit reformers, and I've, I've highlighted in the four or five pages that are put out by Treasury and the government, how many times small businesses mentioned via via the homeowner. Small businesses mentioned more often than the homeowner. So here's, here's I'm joining the dots and reading the tea leaves. These responsible lending reforms, and there's a long way to go to March, by the way, who knows where. And so you're talking about what Josh Frydenberg announced, yeah. uh, or was it a week ago or so? Week uh, up? Yep. Responsible lending hasn't been axed or slashed. Ladies and gentlemen, we shouldn't be doing victory laps thinking that low docs and no docs are back. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. It was never a good idea in the first place. Didn't end well. It's called the GFC. My, my, um, my, my conjecture is that many of these responsible lending reforms are there to make it better or easier for small business people to use the equity in their homes to obtain credit. That's my belief. Mm. And the small business ombudsman uh, 
and I, I got to think because the, the the last uh, ten months have been rather different as we've all uh, transitioned into COVID issues. So I can't remember if it was earlier this year or late last year, but the Small Business Ombudsman actually highlighted a point in a, a release that she put out in regards mm -hmm. to home ownership being used by a very, very high percentage of small business people to access debt to grow and to, to fund their business uh, undertaking initiatives. Yeah, interesting. And um, getting into controversy corner here, um, mm -hmm. I think the consumer credit reforms uh, are laudable and it will uh, improve the, the, uh, the flow of credit uh, mm -hmm. to small business people and to homeowners. Um, but the slight anomaly is that um, unless we change or have a look at the terms of reference of AFCA, uh, that could be a blocking thing. Yes, I, uh, I, I agree there and uh, we're fortunate we're in very close dialogue with AFCA and actually in fact I've been asked to do a presentation to their team that oversees credit in uh, early, uh, early November, mid-November. Uh, so I'm doing a presentation to the people who are directly involved with their industry sector to uh, yeah. give further guidance on how we operate and so on. Because yeah, we've sort of got yeah. to try and bring balance to a lot of that, um, and in the small business sector, I, um, you know, I, and we can see from uh, the federal treasurer's announcement the other week on the responsibility obligations and how the budget has panned out. And I'm no economist, so, but there is a huge emphasis on small businesses there mm. and uh, trying to, uh, and I hate the way they talk, it's all about jobs and every other word, it's all about jobs. Well, unfortunately, it is all about jobs, but the only way you get a job is to help small business out. So if small mm. business can't function, they are the primary employer in our country, Indeed. therefore there's mass unemployment. Um, so it's a part of re-kicking that uh, economies of the country uh, by helping small businesses out. and then the government doing its bit federally and then the state government's doing their bit federally as well. And uh, we won't go into state politics. There's a lot of conjecture at the moment, but we're doing all right up here. It's okay. <laughs> we're not complaining. Everybody else is complaining, so they want to come up here. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but, yeah, but, but at the end of the day, I think we've also got to take a step back with all those conversations politically. No one's done this before. There's not one person alive He's done this gig. So everything's a bit about filling your way as you go as well. And yeah, there've been some real mistakes happen and, and probably there's a lot of conjecture that people may or may not agree with decisions. But you know, unfortunately people are, in my mind, trying to do their best. And unfortunately sometimes the best hasn't worked out so well or they've got bad guidance or whatever. But I think we just need to remember that simple little piece, none of us have been here before. So it's all <laughs> trial and error, unfortunately. And sometimes <laughs> the errors are, are quite, uh, concerning but anyhow. So um, anyway, so my yes. takeaway message on responsible lending is yep. that uh, it hasn't been axed or slashed or done away with at all. Um, we've mm. got some quite um, uh, laudable proposals to actually improve the flow of credit yep. and to bring some clarity to the law but it doesn't mean because some it's a thing about banking. The Medici's kind of invented it in, in, the, in the 16th 16th century is that um, you borrow money and you lend it at more than you borrow at but you've got to actually get it back so this is yes. not a license just to write uh, poor loans, um, mm. by whether it be asset lens or, or just by um, exercising willful blindness and just making loans that uh, that uh, will cause substantial hardship. Um, hey guys, people, the um, the fundamentals of credit remain. We've just mm. we're just taking away some of the um, some of the heartache on the way through. 
Yeah, and there's not a lender in the country and probably not a lender in the world that lends money without the expectation of getting back at some stage. And it's just cool. kind of a given, it's the, the mechanism which we're going What are your thoughts? Now, assuming, uh, you know, everything that's been talked about with these changes of responsible lending has got to get through the House and the Senate. It's, it's, it's got to go through its parliamentary processes. You, you mentioned earlier it's going to be uh, tagged to try and be done by March. Um, mm -hmm. Assuming it all goes through, what do you think if the banks will do you think the banks will actually take up the 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 reform as they go through because in essence the law will create this is the bottom line but they may still choose to operate above the line do you think banks will do that or do you think competitive tension will make them come back here somewhere what a world in which we live i mean uh, uh, credit is the lifeblood of any economy but um what i'm finding uh, uh, over the past few years is we're you know well intentionally um, there's so many laws and regulations that are actually impacting the operation of a free market. So to, to your point, um, we've also got the Banking Code of Conduct now, which is a whole mm. other, another layer. So um, um, I, I, I don't think we're going to see a lending boom because of the, the, the relax, so-called relaxation of responsible mm. lending. Um, it's almost coming back to where we were. Indeed, I think we're going to see a blessing of the so-called fear reaction post post World Commission, but um, getting into controversy corner again, um, that fear reaction may remain if if Africa's remit remains as it is. Um, I'll just flag uh, that okay. one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you see that that Africa piece can be the piece that hinders banks coming back too far because they're concerned of being belted by Africa as such. Uh, uh, that is that is my belief. Yeah, not saying that Africa's. I think external dispute resolution schemes are very necessary uh, and a good part of the financial framework. Um, yeah. I, I think the terms of reference might need some examination, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's um, very, uh, very sound thoughts once again, my friend, from you. Yes. All right. Well, well there you go. Um, there we go. Let's. Um, Yes, now you got me thinking about a whole range of things, Dodds. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I just need some more work, that's all. No, not really. Um, let's have a talk about clawbacks. Now, you know, First up, can I start? It's such an ugly word, Pete, isn't it? Clawbacks. Clawbacks. Yeah, it's just it such ugly. an ugly word. I mean, it has, yeah. I was thinking about this one. It's like, you know, clawback has uh, got a connotation of being attacked by a grizzly bear or swept yeah. on by a raptor or something. And so I got onto Investopedia <laughs> this morning. A clawback is um, classically, uh, it's a financial penalty for wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and what we call clawbacks in this country via the brokers is not a financial penalty for wrongdoing. So I think clawbacks is an ugly word. It's in the law, but it is a misnomer. So I thought I'd just make that point. Yeah, no, I think it's a very valid point. And from my understanding, um, when clawbacks first originated, and, and I, sorry to put it all in context, I think I've been against clawbacks since the first day they were actually put out in this country. And I've forgotten how long ago that was, but it was before I moved up here. And I remember having a conversation to a journalist standing underneath um, uh, MLC Tower and uh, talking about this. That must have been around 2007, 2008, somewhere around that era. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was against it then. From the point of view, that if you have done nothing wrong, you mm -hmm. have actually done your job successfully. Now, mm -hmm. if a life event happens, that's outside of your control. If you breach the law, if you do something wrong, you breach your agreement, commit fraud, whatever it is, you mm -hmm. own it, 
right? And you're going to own it hard. That, that's that's consequence. That's like that's kind of a financial uh, penalty. Yeah, there you go. Correct, the financial penalty. Yep. But otherwise, um, in my head, and, I, and I'm just expressing my thoughts, and we'll, we'll dive further into this. But as far as yep. I'm concerned, um, to me, from back in those days, one that what brokers get paid is a cost of acquisition. It's like a branch network. The branch is a, a distribution of product and they have costs to, to acquire that product. Always a case. Uh, banks have franchise networks these days. Same thing, cost of distribution, brokers cost of distribution. Um, and so that's just to me in my head, that's the principle of it. That's how much it costs you. If, if financially that doesn't work in your business model, you might have to reassess that. But principally that's, that's it in a box. I don't see it as anything else. Um, and then the whole clawback piece just grinds to a halt. You say, well, you've acquired the business. So you now own, and, and I'm pushing that back to the learning, saying you now basically own that risk. Unless I've done something wrong, then there's a pushback on that risk to me. Because even back in day one, when the commission structures for brokers were brought into life, if I can put it that way, um, it wound up getting split to this upfront and trial to impart uh, to assist lenders uh, not to push rates up high because that cost in that first 12 months would be enormous um, and it, it sort of spread it out over time. So it was a balance between things. Stopping churn was another. And to me, churn, in my mind, was always about portfolio movement, not the one transaction. So when we talk about best interest duty and acting responsibly, um, in my head, it was never about the one transaction because the one transaction is all about doing the right thing by the client, if I can put it in that term. But if you pick up a portfolio and move it, you're doing it just to, to churn and make money. You're not doing it in the interest of the client necessarily. So mm -hmm. I always sort of go, well, to me, that's problematic. And uh, um, I, I just, I, I hate the whole concept of it. And as you say, it's a, it is an ugly word, um, but there is a piece of it that needs to be, in my mind, and a piece of it sh that should go. And it's a really hard conversation to have in, um, and I, this is a you and me conversation now. It's not a, an AMM position on anything because Absolutely. we've got to watch the, the ACCC and uh, competition law and we don't want to be fixing yeah. markets. Suggesting This is just viewpoints of two individuals. Sure. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that whole piece to me just doesn't make sense because the banks have then taken all these clients that they've acquired and flogged them a whole host of other products, not just what the broker does. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, your, your your views are very well known, and you know you've been you've been out there and proud, and uh, doing a lot of research yesterday. One thing I did notice, I, I won't name which uh, which uh, title it was, but one of the industry titles uh, had a piece recently on the uh, on the clawback regime, and there was four pages of comments uh, from oh. brokers, um, most of which were um, quite emotive, um, oh. many of which were derogatory to lenders particularly and I thought well this is uh, there's a lot of emotion around this uh, this subject uh -huh. and I was doing a lot of thought last night and um, the, the discussion around clawback is one of those odd things is that everyone's a little bit right oh, yeah. Um, yeah. it isn't it isn't such a black and white you know perfectly defensible thing it's mm. a, it's a it's a multi-hued shade gray all I can do I'm not here to defend uh, uh, my company's position, industry position, lenders' positions. All I can do is articulate the, the way we see the facts uh, around clawbacks. If you ask me to. Hmm. Yes, I did. <laughs> you did. Uh, very good. I got an interesting uh, question that came or commented. It said uh, we should be lobbying government to uh, have the uh, 
to allow brokers, oh, the brokers all end us to send an invoice to the client if a drawback's cleared. That'd be interesting. Um, um, now, the, the, this is an emotional the, point about charging it back to the, the the borrower if you get a clawback. Now, post the recommendations from the Royal Commission, Home Royal Commission, that is being outlawed or has been outlawed. So you can't, it's not quite there, but you can't do that. And there's a lot of conjecture about with people who get, again, in the emotive state about, I should be allowed to, I shouldn't. Now, yep. I can go back a period in time where it was quite commonplace that that happened, but of more recent times, it's actually almost gone already. Very few people do it. And I, and I think because, one, it's, it'd be almost impossible to get it anyhow, regardless of what's been signed. If you go to a court or a small claims tribunal, they're gonna kick it out. Um, but the bad press that you get from it, it, it just doesn't play out. Yeah, you still got to deal with the heartache that I did my job, and and something yeah. you know, uh, it's a real quandary because the good old days before um, Labor mm -hmm. government back in two thousand and eight era, I think or it was, I might be wrong on that, banned exit fees, and that sent Indeed. everything to hell. Because once they banned the exit fees, you couldn't charge the lender couldn't charge it back to the borrower, which used to happen if things paid out the, early. The famous or the infamous deferred establishment fees, as you may recall. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Um, I've, I'll, I'll pose a question to you. I mean, as I said, I did a fair bit of research over the last 24 hours. Oh, that's not fair. I'm, I'm questioning <laughs> you. <You're> not... <laughs> what, what, what problem was the government trying to fix? That was exercising yes. my brain yesterday. Um, yeah. Because I'm, I'm, good... I'm a free market libertarian, and I think the ability to to pass the claw back, back to the client um, is part of, a, of the operation of a free market. I, I, I'm scratching my head as why that was banned actually but anyway yeah you're probably right it probably is a part of the operation of a free market and i think um that um uh, certain uh, consumer bodies have had a big influence on that saying that it's a bad outcome for for borrowers and it shouldn't be allowed and, and sometimes the amounts are hard and they're already in hardship as it is and well, whatever the conversations are um, yep. but i still circle that around and saying well you know in my head Broker shouldn't be put in that position anyhow because it's a cost of acquisition to the lender, so it shouldn't be a pushback to start with. And if business models don't support it, and my understanding is there's, there's not a huge percentage of loans that um, that do do uh, terminate early and, and trigger a clawback. Uh, but when you, you take the mass numbers of brokers in Australia, it looks like a big number, but for each individual broker, um, it may be quite less. And that's mm -hmm. variable from you know, brokerage to brokerage and state to state, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think it's fundamentally wrong that okay. uh, that, that that should happen uh, because you got paid to do a job. A bit like saying to Mr. Dalton, you're getting paid to do a job. Um, and whatever happened in the next six months, somebody wasn't happy with that piece of work. You didn't say, well, we're going to take your salary off you. Yeah, it's the same argument to the banks. If a loan discharges early, it's originated through the bank branch structure. They don't take people's salary back off them. Uh, same with politicians. If people don't like their policies or their public statement, they don't then go back and take their salary off them. They wouldn't earn a cent. They might be in debt. No, no, only joking. You shouldn't say that about our dear friends. Um, but you know what I mean? It's sort of, yeah. But it's just say, you say, well, in all fairness, in all commercial reality, these are small business people who have done their job. Now, if you do something wrong, it's different, but if you've done nothing wrong, then surely this does not make commercial sense from the world of a small business point of view. Uh, um, do I, it's a challenging I, debate. Should I reply? Should I try and defend you can. clawbacks? 
Um, um, mate, you, you, look, you can. I think there is a position of defence. There is a defence position that says, from a lender, I've had a cost, mm -hmm. and now you're going to make me make a loss. That's not fair. Now, this is where banning the exit fees or deferred establishment fees sort of thing is problematic. If that hadn't happened, a lot of this argument doesn't exist. Now we're getting somewhere. So some would say the clawbacks are indefensible. Um, I'm about to attempt it. Um, I hope no one throws a virtual. No one throws a virtual shoe at me. Is that? Um, and it gets back to um, the the interference with the operation of the free market. So if I could, if I could attempt to do this yeah. in logical sequence, um, in classical economic theory or market theory, there's no such thing as a free option. That's oxymoronic. Uh, every option has a cost. Um, mm -hmm. In in the mortgage world, we have the equity of redemption. A, a mortgagor has the right to repay their loan, uh, interest in principle, and get their property back. So that's an option, the option to prepay. Yeah. That option comes with a cost. Someone's going to pay that cost. In the, in the operation of a free market, in my view, um, that cost can either be borne by the borrower, as it is, if you, mean, you know a lot about the United States, you've been there a lot. Um, yeah. In the United States, you pay points up front, um, yeah. whereas we don't here. Um, so the borrower essentially pays for the cost of distribution there by paying points up front. Uh, in other jurisdictions, of course, there's exit fees. Um, and that's that, that recompenses the borrower pays the cost of exercising the equity of redemption, discharging the loan. Um, in our market, um, both of those things have been toyed with. So the, the free market is, uh, the operation of free market has been legislated away in my opinion. So. I can only speak for my company. I'm not I'm spooking my company. I can just I just got the maths of my company in my head. That's all. Mm. Um, maths are um, on average we expect it, at the, the current levels of compensation that we pay to brokers. Uh, the maths are that our expectation is the loan will last on average for four years. 63.9 by four for mathematical yeah. simplicity. Um, if on average, if many of those loans don't last four years, I've made a very bad economic decision. And if I keep making very bad economic decisions, um, I won't not only get a, uh, an adequate, uh, inadequate return of capital for my shareholders, uh, over time I won't make any profits and therefore I'll go broke, uh, yep. which is not good for the industry if, uh, if lenders start going broke because they've made poor economic decisions because loans, like the, the level of broker compensation is maintained um, on, on a certain mathematical expectation of average life of mortgage. And those average lives are shortened artificially or otherwise. Um, it's not uh, not good for the industry because and so because uh, the borrower is now legislatively constrained for actually uh, for, for, for recompensing the lender for an early termination. Um, either two people are going to take it. It's either the lender or the broker. Um, yep. So we have decided, uh, uh, many, many lenders have decided, well, it's now a legislative two-year max, uh, that uh, some of that cost of distribution shall be recompensed, uh, shall be received from the broker. That's, that's the mathematical, not emotional yeah. equation. Yeah, and I, and I think that's an important piece too. You've got to take the emotion out of it and you've got to think through the, the economic and, and business reality of what's transpiring through that decision. Um, do you think there's any consideration that, again, um, your know, legislation creates a framework to say, in this instance, it can't go past here. Uh, mm -hmm. But do you think lenders will possibly bring that back? I mean, we, we tried to lobby government to make it, well, <laughs> initially to bugger it off altogether. I've got to shoot high, you know that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but then to say, well, if not, then you know, uh, shorten 24 months down to 12 months 
and say, yep. well, maybe it's 100% for 12 months and then nothing after that. Now, mm -hmm. there is a variation of that in some of the mainstream banking structures, uh, whereby uh, where their external franchise operations um, after 12 months have no clawback. So not talking in your situation, but in the situation of mainstream banking, there is an ability to do that, but I doubt there is a willingness to do that. That would be in my head. But would there be a commercial viability, do you think, to say, well, yeah, we say it maxes out at two years, but that actually could be less. And I'm not saying yeah. we should, but I, I just... A more linear, and, and a more maybe linear approach, perhaps. A more linear yeah. approach would be... It's not signaling anything here, but a more linear approach no. over two years could yeah. be... Uh, could be equitable. No, no, One thing no. that's really exercising my mind, and I don't have the answer, but it's it's just exercising no. my mind, is the dichotomy between a two-year clawback regime and these cashback offers. Yeah. Um, I'm still yeah, thinking definitely. about what that all means. There's there's some there's some dissonance there somewhere, isn't there? You know, it's, um, there is. I mean, if they can afford to pay a cash incentive, which basically it is to the borrower, yeah. uh, and therefore if you're paying four grand out and the clawbacks two, why are you? Yeah. yeah, dump the dump the, the cash incentive, which I would have thought had issues from a an ASIC or ACCC consideration. That's um, my view. And uh, and dump the claw back at the back end. You actually become better off. <laughs> You're thirteen hundred bucks a deal, basically better off, uh, and actually probably more than that because not every loan has a clawback. Uh, not every loan terminates early. Whereas you pay this cash incentive up front, so you've actually created a a worse position from a lending Indeed. perspective financially because you've already thrown that money out. No, I'm, I'm still thinking the risk. through because there, it is anomalous and I'm still thinking about what it means yeah. in a macro sense. It, 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 just, mm. it just doesn't sit very well with me, I'd have to say that. Yeah. Can I just get another thing? And we're, um, yep. we're a holding broker company. We love brokers. We love mortgage managers. But I'm just getting to thinking that um, uh, if um, if brokers have their, their CRM set to stun and, uh, and two years and one day, um, yeah. the, the, the CRMs are dialed to, uh, to, to phone yeah. the borrower for a health check, such yeah. that the, the, the average lives of mortgages are being shortened uh, mm. by action. Um, that yeah. probably wouldn't be good for the industry uh, in total, no. I don't think. No, and, and I hope this that's is not where... an emerging phenomenon, actually. No, I, I agree. And this is where, once we get to a point, being able to take um, data from history, which we don't have today, and mm -hmm. analyze the trend of what's happening under a best interest duty to see how that is impacting that particular style of activity or scenario. Mm -hmm. Because the question still becomes uh, what happens if there is an appropriate uh, position under a best interest duty Indeed. to move the client around at month 13? Because uh, interest rates have dropped another 1% or the yep. circumstances life changes, this lender can't help, yep. so it needs to move. So acting in the best interests of a client will trigger a clawback. The, the debate becomes, will that hinder mm. a broker from acting in the best interest of the client? And there's only mm. one answer to that. And the answer mm. has to be no, because we have touted the profession of this industry to government and regulators all from back from 2015, when it was first touted by Kelly O'Dwyer, there's gonna be a broker remuneration review, which was done Indeed. in 2016. The professionalism in this industry, and we are not influenced by those sort of things. And if we breach that, I can tell you now, the review in 2022 yeah. will create a significant amount of heartache for every broker no. in this country if we're not careful. That was my point. Um, you just said it better. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. no, but these are things we've got to be cautious of because it is such a, and this comes back to what you said, so it's such an emotive discussion. We've got to yeah. put a hat of 
of, uh, of logic and, and, and clear thinking without being clouded by that to, to understand yep. the consequence of certain actions. Um, and, uh, and colloquially, you might say at times it's better to shut up and put up. But <laughs> hey, there's another phenomenon that's overlaying all of this, Pete, is that um, um, you know we all remember the good old days when official cash rates were uh, were tumbling. And remember that um, uh, you know uh, you know we, you, you and I have both been in the industry a long time. Remember when they used to have live crosses to this to the RBA every second okay. Tuesday of the month just to see what the OCR did, and and then there was this this, this unseemly rush to be the first lender to announce what they're going to do with those variable rates. Um, yep. You know those those days are gone. We are actually in uncharted territory here. We um we have a, a sustainably low interest rate regime. How long is sustainably? Wow. Rates are going to be very, very low, if not lower, for at least five years. So those sorts of, um, you know, and that sort of dovetails into best interest duty and health checks for mortgages, and um, because variable rates, unless in the absence of of lender um, chicanery, uh, you know, bait and trappery or whatever that is, yeah. that, um, rates are going to be variable rates are going to be very, very uh, stable for a long time. So now this is this um, is interesting because. If that stability plays out as you're suggesting, mm -hmm. um, there's not much south you can go. There's not. I would, yeah. So there's, if there's that is the case, that is what you're saying. That stability be there. Mm -hmm. So to be be acting the best interests of a client mm -hmm. is probably not going to be as ASIC tends to want to put out rate driven. Um, that, that was my point. It, it, actually, yeah. yeah, there'd be other things that drive things if they drive it at all which will, will so, be an interesting play so, in the marketplace. So uh, hand on heart, I hope um, broker behaviour doesn't modify to, um, you know, refinancing people every two years. So what I'm hypothesising mm, yeah. is, I, I don't know the answer because we're in uncharted territory, but um, mm. if, if, if uh, the best interest of the consumer was served by a refi in two years and one month, mm, what's changed? Do they want a fixed yeah. rate, I suppose, is one of the answers, but um, yeah. it's an Interesting thought process. I think in both sides of the ledger, both on the mortgage side and on the funding side, the impact of the longevity of low and stable rates hasn't really been thought through all that well. Yeah, no. And again, a part of that uncharted territory issue. Um, so I can still remember writing home loans at 21.5%. I, I had one, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. That <laughs> was dreadful. It um, was. Uh, we had a bank. Oh, mm, can I say this? Yes, I can. Um, we had a bank uh, recently. No, not recently. It was actually early last year. It was who uh, was uh, aware of the fact that rates are low and sustainable, and actually mm -hmm. said, "Can we perhaps uh, fund you into a thirty-year fixed rate?" Uh, and I, I was taken because I'm used to you know, hanging around in the USA. Yeah. Um, I was just aghast. I mean, you can't hedge that. We're not going to hedge it. Mm. We're actually going to. We think the rates the are going pocket. to be so low sustainably. We'll partially hedge it, but we yeah. think there's, you know, there's chance for a 30-year fixed rate. Um, that was an interesting debate. We, we ultimately didn't take it up, but it was interesting, mm. interesting consideration. That's the sort of thing so you need to think about. Yeah, and that's commonplace in the US. Oh, very much so. But that's the government. Yeah. Just, ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Who takes the risk there? The poor tax. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's something that most people don't understand. It's the taxpayer in the US that bears the risk of that. Of course, um, Fannie and Freddie yeah. and the others, the other Because as you said earlier, somebody pays. There's no such thing as a free option. Yeah, um, yeah. So someone pays, and unfortunately, in the so callback. I've got a couple of things here that come through, and this is partly a question I had earlier, but also another one's just come through. It talks about if callback stays, should there be a review and give a reason why it shouldn't happen? Um, 
and I think we've spoken around the whole issue of uh, of the where's and why for's as they uh, as clawbacks are. But I can say that that the FBAA is doing a review on this. Um, it's it's something that's very difficult as industry is a collective to do because there's a whole host of competition law issues that that sit in there. But um, based on a conversation uh, I had in Parliament House Canberra back early December and a response to something I was doing at the time without sort of positioning too closely has actually spurred us on to uh, do a research piece around this and mm. um, that will play back to some of the objections that were being expressed at the time. And uh, and it's uh, I, I, we're just never going to get rid of it. That commercially isn't going to happen. They ha there is a place for clawbacks. I'm just mm -hmm. very much against um, I've done nothing wrong. I did my job and now you're taking my money off. You're not going to reimburse mm -hmm. me my expenses because I pay for salaries, rent, telephone, cars, fuel. I had to pay that expense as a cost of my business, yet you've taken all that money and more away from me and I'm, I'm, I'm now worse off. I really might as well just pack up and go home sort of thing. So mm -hmm. you know, I, I just say, well, that isn't fair. It doesn't make sense. I come back to it. I'm sounding probably too repetitive, but cost of acquisition. I know you're passionate about it. But at the same token, yeah. At the same token, there's a balance of economies that sits on the lender's end, but I own this cost. I almost think what we need to do is to unwind Labor's decision of banning exit fees uh, and allow that to uh, be passed back as a, an exit uh, uh, an exit cost to a borrower if they discharge their loan early. I think as, that, um, and I'm, I'm conscious of the fact there's 109 people that are watching this right now, and I don't quite know who they are. Um, but um, this no, specs, no. The, the whole, as I, I referred to before, there's this this overlapping and interwoven series of regulation and legislation, it smacks to me as if it was, um, much of it was done on the fly without yeah. a sufficient consideration of the anomalies Impact. between each bit. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard, but the legislation still, it's, it's still wet. It's, it's not even dry yeah. yet. But I think it's yeah. time, it's timely that it be reviewed to see the unintended consequences actually. Yeah. I have one comment here from somebody talking about, well, why don't, uh, there's no upfront and trail and simply a, a commission paid on uh, the loan as it's being paid. So like the whole mm -hmm. thing being dripped out, um, which I, I guess is a consideration for thoughts. My problem is, is then you've got a business to run uh, and you know the, the balance in the upfront and trail is to help support the business to so it can economically pay its way as well. Um, mm -hmm and uh, continue to service the client on the on the way through. I think that'd be uh, fairly challenging. Do you, remember, to... do you remember the time when there was no upfronts? I do. Yeah, yeah. I remember it was all fee for service, but, but that's changed too, because now so much time has passed, borrowers don't expect to pay for it. Now, there was a research piece done by Momentum Intelligence about a year and a half ago around this, and it came out that basically even at two grand, borrowers won't pay, uh, because we have now conditioned them not to pay. So every Absolutely. generation that comes through. Hey, you know, the interesting thing is in the US, they add 10 basis points to do an online home loan. So it costs you more to do it online without a person. You know what, but it does say some ass. Yeah, um, 10 basis what's, points. What's the rationale for that? I have that, well, premium service. Oh, I see. I don't, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I struggle with a bit of here, sorry. Side issue. Side, side issue. issue. <laughs> but yeah, I, I find it a, a funny anomaly. It, you do it online and do it quick and you get charged more um, really in weird. your rate. Clawback is something we talked about before and I'm, is that you know, why, why aren't clawbacks over a two year period, why aren't they more linear? Why do they have this cliff sort of thing? You know? yeah, um, yeah. And, and uh, no disrespect to any incumbent lender. I suspect some of it is because it's a, it's a big legacy systems challenge. 
I suspect. It could well be. And to me, that's not an excuse. They should be bringing their technologies up to date, but it is possibly that. But didn't we start off, though, with a more uh, linear, but uh, an annual structure down? So, like in the first year, it was 100%, second year was 75, then 50, 25, and then nil at the fourth, something like that in securitization. In the, the AMS phase, um, we certainly do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was not an uncommon sort of step. And you sort of go, okay, well, uh, that that probably has more sense to it. I still don't really like it personally, but it, it has more logic to it um, in, in a degree. Um, I, I much prefer the old days where it was passed back. Okay. I do. I have some sympathy mm. with that view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a couple of points, a couple of things here around best interest duty and uh, an interesting one here says, with the obligation of responsible lending and the best interest duty going forward, why do we face lenders' barriers of targets or priority broker group statuses? Now, I'm very This is not my real groups. house. I'm not no, it's not. That's all right. Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit on it and uh, you can just look handsome as ever. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm against broker groups. Um, I was when the commission review was done. Uh, they only got held on by the skin of their teeth because it was going to be qualitative based, not volume based. Um, my understanding that um, the, the quantitative position, so the volume is still there, and I think that's disgraceful and needs to go. Um, personally, I think all broker groups should go anyhow because, you know, it's got nothing to do with the broker. There's an innocent customer sitting there who's waiting to get Indeed. a loan approved. So Indeed. why are we penalising the innocent customer? I find that uh, uh, quite challenging. And the other piece here on best interest duty that came through is around bundled products and um, in particular where credit cards are packaged into a bundled product. Now this is an area which I mentioned earlier on but before we started the show and I'm, I'm, I've, we've written multiple submissions to ASIC on it and I actually just finished another one yesterday to ASIC mm -hmm. that had this included as well, is that ASIC, and this is, plays back to your comment before, Dolls, um, ASIC's Road Tree Guide 273 goes beyond the intent of government and the law through the explanatory memorandum, the act that was passed and put through. It goes beyond that. Uh, and therefore the impact is that under the law it was written, and we've documented this again to ASIC, and as I sent it off again yesterday, but this is probably the third, if not fourth time we've tackled this, um, is that the best interest duty has to be applied to every product within a bundle. In, in the law, we had it agreed and it was written, it's in the act, is that the best interest duty, in my colloquial terms, is applied to the predominant debt. So mm -hmm. we will take that 99.99% of the time, that'll be the home loan, unless somebody takes out a $50,000 credit card and a $10,000 home loan, God knows why they do it. Uh, then that swings it the other way. I said that, but in the way the act's written, it's fine. In the way it's in the regulatory guide, somebody's interpretation, and have taken it, it, this isn't law as such, the law is back here in the act and the EDM. Um, you've got to apply best interest duty to a credit card in a bundled product, yet there is no transparency to credit cards at all from lenders back through to aggregators so it can be fed back to the borrowers, uh, brokers, right. Right? and then right. the brokers act in the best interest client. So you're being expected to apply a duty to something you can't see. Now, again, uh, this is the third time, one was verbal and two, two in writing to ASIC again yesterday saying, well, if you are not going to change this, then you need to be directing lenders that they must be giving the details or the data through to the aggregator on all credit cards, whether they're bundled or not, because it's consumer debt, um, 
back through to the aggregators so they can disseminate that to the broker so that they can give their recommendation, their position in a best interest duty on that particular thing, on that particular item on that credit card. Because today you can't, which means that every broker who from 1 January next year organises a loan for a, broker, for a borrower that has a credit card in it, without that transparency, they have just breached the best interest duty, maximum penalty just wow. over a million dollars. And that's just disgraceful. That. That's taken the law yeah. out to... Well, it's, it's, sorry, I'm, I'm leading with my chin here. It's, it's not disgraceful, it's nuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The credit card interest rates can change um, at a whim. Um, how, do you, how do you do yeah, a best I interest duty like that? You know, weird. I know, it's crazy. Weird. Um, yeah. Uh, interestingly, somebody's just come through and said both uh, one of our major aggregators and a, a major uh, um, digital bank have announced uh, linear clawback arrangements. So ah. it seems like the logic is starting to flow through. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I see that as a good first step. I'm not suggesting it's the last step, but I do see it as a good first step. Um, I, and, I have uh, some sympathy with your view. I do. <laughs> it's like uh, diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> diplomatic, that's right. Um, there's another uh, comment just come through. Uh, it says, when trials pause on an overdue account, uh, which is fair enough, the trial stops. Um, why is it then not, you know, isn't there a catch-up catch up plan for trial when the client comes back into arrears, uh, comes back into, uh, uh, into order? So mm -hmm. you, you stop it for here, but mm -hmm. as it comes back into water so, and they start pile training again. So it's completely lost that days, for instance, and that 90 yeah. days just operates, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting question. I don't know if, yeah, because I guess there's been arrears collected through that period of time, mm, right? Hopefully. So the lender, the lender's actually made more money, and you may not want to have this debate, that's okay, but the lender's made more <laughs> money, but they pocket the extra surplus as well as the normal amount, Hmm. Um, and when it comes back in order, they just start at the lower benchmark or the original benchmark for the broker. So the bank, the lender has taken all that. It's an interesting thing to ponder. It is an interesting uh, one, particularly if yeah. I think higher rates are so last century. I don't think too many people are, are yeah. heavy to default hmm. anymore. But. Yeah. Mr. Dalton, we've actually run out of time and I've got more oh, questions geez, and things went, coming through. It went very quickly. So uh, just for people who've been listening, if there's questions here, I think a lot of them we have covered in our conversation. But um, I will pick up on these and uh, the wonderful Mariah, who's uh, sitting out the back behind us all uh, monitoring and managing everything for us. She'll move those questions into my next segment. We'll catch up on those. But Dot, I wanted to say thank you so much. I love no, our you. conversations. I have, for, uh, I have for years and years and probably decades now, it goes back that far. Um, always love our conversations. They're always um, mentally stimulating, challenging is the way they should be and uh, full of uh, wondrous insight and uh, a vision of things. And I think everybody, regardless, try and take the emotion out of some of this and think it through. Um, we'll never get rid of the emotion completely. I understand that. But um, take the essence of the conversation and uh, uh, understand that uh, I know from the FBAA, we are fighting hard on callbacks, always have been and always will. Uh, but there's a balance as to where this lies. And uh, lenders such as Kim, uh, and with his knowledge and, and the way he's going about doing things, we can see that these are laying up the future and, and the, the stability of structure as we go forward. And I think that's a very important thing. And uh, well, uh, let me know when you get your next tattoo, mate. But, uh, and, and we'll do a piece okay. of that. <laughs> we'll do Thank a show. Thanks for having me, everybody. Okay. Thanks, Kim. All the best. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. See you, mate.
All righty, Mr. Kim Dalton, what a wonderful man. Uh, and uh, I always love, as I said, the conversations that I have with him. And uh, I know there's, there'll be things that we don't, you know, everybody doesn't agree with it. And it's not about agreeing with everything. It's about just being able to sit down and have uh, a, a reasonable and fair conversation and try and work these things out. As you all know, I am against clawbacks. But there is another side of that conversation. Unfortunately, political manoeuvres in the past have hindered where all that stands. Um, challenges in the current marketplace bring challenges of their own uh, in regards to this conversation. But that doesn't mean we don't stop fighting. We're continuing with our research piece on this. Um, and I hope uh, uh, our initiatives and, our, and our, um, our aim is before we get uh, by the middle of next year and before the uh, review, of 2022 from the Council of Financial Regulators and ASIC. So before they start that, which I expect it'll be around June next year, maybe earlier, that we will have these pieces to be able to table then and also to government to mitigate what I believe where their arguments are around this conversation. Doesn't mean they're going to listen, but we're damn well keep fighting and give it our best, I can assure you. Anyhow, thanks very much for joining us. Next week, get ready for uh, uh, next week, next fortnight, I should say, there's an old habit. We're having a conversation in two weeks' time with mortgage managers within our industry. So these are the people that play in the securitization space um, and or are just outside of mainstream lending. From a, a When I say that, they're not a major bank, they're not a second tier bank, they are a, a mortgage manager in their own right. We're going to drill in to see how they operate, how they're finding things and how they will advantage you, as opposed to neobanks and, and, and new lenders such as uh, Kim Dalton is doing with uh, AMM. So uh, get ready to uh, register for that. That's Thursday, the 22nd of October. Thank you so much for being with us. And don't forget at the end of this, well, or before we do that, thank you to our sponsors who support us. Love them. They, they, uh, they, they support us in a, in a really wonderful way. So I really appreciate their support and remember, to a little survey that you get, please give us your feedback. We need it, it's important and it helps guide us as we go forward, uh, especially as we go into 2021. It'll be a, a new norm that will exist in there. We wanna make sure we get it right for you and also your CPD code will be issued as well. In the meantime, you can always watch this and all the other episodes of Q&A with Whitey and all the other things that we do from a, a PD day and so on. You can watch it on our YouTube channel. Don't forget to, to if you wanna catch up on anything or review anything, everything's on our YouTube channel, go there and you'll be able to watch it again. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. Been great chatting as always, and uh, take care and we'll see you soon once these borders are down. Take care, bye for now.